Greeting to each one in the name of Jesus. It is good to be here. I, some of you I don't know very well, and it doesn't really matter, because I suppose that can change. And, uh, but I would say it is a privilege. We count it a privilege to be here. As I think about um, those of you I do know, and uh, those from the church here, and also uh, from different places, uh, Brother Glenn Ernie that I've worked with for years, and Joe, and uh, uh, Dwight, and Jason, and some of the old timers uh, that from way back. It's it's really good. It's a privilege to be here, to uh, to be with you, and uh, uh, Daniel, Linda, Sam. Joe and Betty, Mark, Proper, uh, just the different people that show up. I'm sure I probably missed some fairly important ones. Uh, but anyhow, I, as I thought of this topic, to know those that labor among you, it seemed to me that, of course, we, we typically look at this in context of a congregation relating to the ministry, and that's that's right and good. But I want to perhaps branch out just a little bit more as I look into this. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians 5, um, verse 12 and 13. We'll begin there. But it seems like there's more to the concept of, of uh, support for ministry than what we sometimes uh, consider, and I, I want to look at several, the, several things here. Just the fact that we have a brotherhood, people we know, people we trust, it's like family. That's a privilege, but how does it get that way? What happens to make it that way? 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. I just want to make a few comments here on these verses just directly. So he says to know those that labor. The word know here means to consider. You... Take note of this. You observe them. You see who they are. And uh, in other words, build a relationship. You get to know them. And we'll branch out on that a little later. He also mentions those that labor among you. Who labors among us as a congregation? Is this talking just about the ministry? Do we have worker bees and drones? You know, in a beehive, drones really don't, they're not workers, they're not part of the, um, I guess that you'd say the important things that go on. Is that the way the church is? Now, I don't think it is, and I don't think it's supposed to be, but I do believe that there is a mentality in people that if, the work, if there's work to be done in the church, then we ordain people to do it, and that's their job. But is that accurate? Partly, yes, but that's just a small piece of what 
I think the, the church needs to be. So, those that labor among you, those that are over you in the Lord. So he is actually bringing it down more specifically to those ordained, those who are teaching and helping, who are in the work of the ministry. That is true, but let's not narrow it so tightly that we basically, most of you don't need to be here or at any church service. No, no, that's not it at all. We all need to be here. God has a work for you. And I trust that if we're going by job description, those who labor among you, that it would include every one of, of you and us, we all are workers, we labor. All right, so then he talks about those who admonish you in the Lord. And this is where it comes down more specifically to those who are teachers. And the word admonish is, is to teach, to, to uh, guide, to correct even. It's, uh, it's a term of, of some authority where we speak and we say this is the way it needs to be. And uh, we shouldn't do this, but we should do this. We have admonition and it guides us into uh, what we need to be. And then he says to esteem them very highly in work, in love for their work's sake. To esteem them highly in love. Now sometimes this esteem, uh, in certain places, in certain circles, the ordained demand a certain amount of respect. And is that right? Well, I don't think that, uh, I would say this, that when, when those in charge have to remind those under them that they need respect, it's pretty far down the tube. It's, 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 long, it's a cause that's been um, lost a long time ago. There needs to be some deep repentance. So this word esteem is respect. It means simply to respect. We say respect is earned, and it is. But respect is first of all given. You esteem someone, he says, you do it in love, for love's sake, and also for their work's sake. And the word work is not necessarily the things that they're doing or their accomplishments. It's the task that's been given to them. So he says, because there are people who have been charged to do this work, I want you for love for your Lord and for your fellow men, I want you to lift them up and to respect them in that, to help them to do that. And I don't really know what was going on in the mind of uh, the Apostle Paul, but he throws in this little, almost a non sequitur, and yet very connected. He says, and be at peace among yourselves. So the, the, uh, the, the work of the church, as I see, and I work, I'm a mechanic, I work on engines. If you build the motor right, you don't have the thing working against itself. And the power that's being produced can actually be an output that literally does the job that the motor was uh, supposed to do in the first place. Back in the 80s, there was an effort to uh, control the emissions on engines. And so they start detuning them. So now these engines didn't have as much power. They were basically working against themselves so that the, uh, the emissions wouldn't be quite as great. But the fact is it was still using just as much gas, but it didn't put out near as much power. Within the church, if we put a lot of our energy against each other, 
and the friction the, the, uh, that we have, we use most of our energy just trying to get along. And that's sad because that's not what the church is there for. We're supposed to be the light to the world. We are supposed to be the church. The, I believe the church, church's first responsibility, of course, is to take care of its own. It is for our edification. And then in that edified state, in that built-up state, our strong spiritual stance, we go forth. And from that point, we can be that light we need to be. But if we waste our energy in bickering, things that really don't matter, he said this, and that hurt me. Well, does that really matter? So you hurt me. I mean, think about it. So I can't eat as well? It costs me more? I mean, what, what's really going on here? Does it matter? Can you give that back to God and just say, you know, the brother meant well. It did sting, but that was because of me. That wasn't necessarily, I don't blame him. Be at peace among yourselves. Peace is a choice. It's something you choose to do, something you decide to do. You begin to forbear and to forgive like Christ. And incidentally, that's why those two words are there, forbear and forgive. If I can correct every problem that you do against me, I don't need forgiveness anymore because I'll make you pay for the things you've done wrong and now we're all settled. The bills are paid, everything's square. But sometimes that can't happen. That there, there's, uh, you know, who is right, who's wrong. So we need these two words to forbear and to forgive. And this is why that it we're told to, as Christ forgave us, not because we repaid it, but because of His mercy. We do the same thing to others. The example that Jesus gave. All right, so. As we look at this, um, this word, to know, this is what I want to, to focus on mostly, to know. I want to read some uh, verses from Proverbs 27. You can turn that to that if you want to. Proverbs 27, verse 23 through 27. The writer says, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds. For riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation? The hay appeareth, and the tender grass showeth itself, and the herbs of the mountains are gathered. The lambs are for thy clothing, and the goats are the price of the field. And thou shalt have goats' milk enough for thy food, and for the food of thy household, and for the maintenance of thy maidens. Notice the context of, of work and labor, of an enterprise, that, a farm that produces the things that are necessary. But he said you need to be careful that you make sure that this thing is producing what it needs to produce. Because anybody who's been in business knows that it doesn't take too long to think and get top heavy and your expenses can overrun your income. And therefore, staying home is actually cheaper than going to work. Now, that happens sometimes inadvertently, but, uh, but if this is a pattern, we need to change it. And he said, be diligent to know that this doesn't happen to you because riches are not guaranteed. In church life, I think the same thing is true. Be diligent to know what's happening because goodwill is not guaranteed. 
that is up to us to continually produce by effort and by a focused determination. Some years ago, I don't know, probably, I don't know, 10 or 12, maybe, give or take, we planted a little tree in the corner of a, a there by our deck. There's a little corner there. We planted a tree. It's a maple tree. This, this tree grew very nice. It's probably, it was probably 18, close to 18 feet tall, 16 to 18, and had branched out. It was just getting to where it was nice. It was throwing shade over the deck. Um, it was up high enough that we were starting to enjoy this. Last summer, we had a drought, and uh, this it just didn't rain for a long, long time. Ponds dried up. Uh, actually, a lot of trees in the area died because of the, the heat and the, the lack of moisture. But our maple tree was doing fine. We didn't have to do anything extra to it. It was just there. It, it put on leaves. Everything was fine. This spring, the rest of the, when the other trees put on their leaves, we suddenly noticed that there's not one leaf on that tree. What happened? We don't know. Did it not have enough water? Was it too hot? Was it because of something we did? Uh, we just simply don't know. Once again, be diligent to know what happens because sometimes things happen around us and we're clueless as to what really went on because we weren't paying attention. It could be that if I had known a little more about trees, I would have looked at that leaf last summer and I said, hmm, we need to do something about this. But I didn't know. Therefore, we have no tree and uh, there's no changing it. We can plant another one, but we've lost 12 to 15 years. So be diligent to know the state of your flocks. As I think about the responsibilities of those chosen, uh, thinking primarily right now about the, in the ministry, those ordained and the, the work that they've been called to do, it seems the older I get, the more I realize this, that you know, resources are not, it's not a given that everything's going to work well. It, it just may not. If I would propose to you as a church here and for you local people, if I would tell you and, and ask you and I say, well, you know, your ministry has a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, I would like for you to commit, each one of you uh, heads of household, especially you men who you're, you're in a business, and I would like for you to commit $1,000 per week and about two hours of your day every day to give to the ministry. Would you do that? You don't have to raise your hand. But would you do that? Would you say, that's good. Hey, we'd love to do that. Now, I, I grant you probably would think it's a good idea, but your thought is, wait a minute. We can't do that. That's not sustainable. There's no way we can. That's too much. That's too big. We, we can't do it. Well, think about this. In the same way, all of us have demands on our lives, and the resources are limited. The ministry, just like the rest of us, we all have exactly 24 hours in a day. And uh, there are certain things we need to do that day. But what happens when you add more to it? Well, sometimes we run out of 
energy, we run out of time, we run out of resources. And that's the, I guess, a little bit the, the thing of what are we actually looking at here? So the first of all, first of all, I want to look at the thing of what, what is going on? So when we talk about to know those that labor among you, um, I've got four things listed. One is their spiritual state, one is their financial state, one is their physical state, and one the emotional state, those four things. And there could be a breakdown in that. All of those four are limited. They're, the resources are not endless. They're not infinite. They have a certain uh, capacity, and that's it. You can stretch them a bit, but eventually it's going to come back, and, and you're going to run out of gas. So what about their spiritual state? You might ask, what do they believe? How do these people, if you're going to know them, you should know the spiritual state, their spiritual state. Are they in tune with the Lord? How do they live? Are they examples in the way they run their business, in their purchases, the way they deport themselves in the community, um, the way they uh, just simply have a, a, how would you say, a, a desire for, for God's kingdom? Are, is that really what you see there? Or you might ask, well, how do they respond or react when there's criticism or praise or pressure? Those are the things that when you sque squeeze a grape, you get grape juice, you get what's inside, and sometimes that with people it's the same way, maybe all the time, whenever we're pressed and squeezed and, and uh, really pressured, what's in us comes out. So what is the spiritual state of your leaders? Not just what they say. We're, we're all great on Sunday, you know. We're, we're all cleaned up and polished and uh, we're just all good people. I mean, you just can't meet a better crowd. But when you get to working with, uh, daily with people, I, I've had the experience of, um, in, in uh, Mississippi years ago, I was ordained uh, there where, when uh, David Miller uh, from Seymour. So they lived there at the time and, and I knew David and I was, I was ordained, got to work with David in the ministry and everything. And you know, and I, I've always thought a lot of David. But uh, a couple years later, I moved to Seymour, Missouri, and for one year, I worked with David. I knew David a lot better from that year than I did the three years previous working with him in the ministry. And I have to say, it was a good experience because I appreciated him even more than I did before. I, I just, I found him a, um, oh, it isn't saying he didn't have any weaknesses, but I found him very real, a real person and a wholesome person to work with. And so it just, I really don't think you can know somebody unless you've actually worked with them. So as you're observing and you want to know what your, the spiritual state of your leaders are, you need to observe what they're like under pressure and under real life situations, not what they are in church. You don't know me from what I'm speaking here this morning. You might think you do. You say, ah, oh, that was, that was, good or that was bad or that was he's mixed up or he's straight or he's whatever you have an opinion but you don't know me until you come and work with me and you find out what I'm like when the phone is ringing and the customers are calling and the cows just got out 
and I'm supposed to be at church in a half an hour. Then you find out, you know, hey, this guy's, he's handled it well, or he, hmm, he just about came apart. Uh, then you know me. All right, so know those that labor among you. What kind of spiritual state is it? What about the financial state? You know, there are varying circumstances. You can't just simply say that, well, our ministry needs so much a month to help out because, you know, they give so much time and so they, let's give them so much and then that takes care of it. Uh, that, they may need some, but it goes beyond that because this is variable. Some, some earn a very good income, some have a little more of a struggle because of, of situations and circumstances. What are the needs? The Bible says to get to know them. Uh, find out. What about the time they give to study or to church work, travel expenses? What about their family needs, their uh, home, their, the cost of, of lodging and of just buying a home and trying to uh, take care of their family? How, do, how does that, how can they be a, a servant of the church and still make those ends meet? Find that out. You know, they have study time. They have time counseling when they're doing meetings with different people and trying to, to talk and, and to, to encourage, to build up. Uh, it, it creates a, a time crunch and that goes on to, into the physical, this, this thing of time, the time constraints. Like I said, we only have eight hours a day. And somewhere in there, we need some family time, we need some work time, we do need a little time to sleep. Um, and then, of course, ministry. And uh, we had, I, I don't think it's, we use it quite in this way today, but in the past, one of the questions asked to nominees was that, are you willing to make all else subservient to this calling that you're about to receive? Now, I'm not sure that that's a very good a very well stated question I, I guess I would want to qualify that a little bit um, when a person's ordained that's not necessarily their first responsibility uh, God gave them the family first and uh, but all things need to be in place so there is the, the, the physical time restraints and constraints that, that we face um, Hopefully we have enough time, but... And then the fourth one, the emotional state. Once again, emotional energy, which, as I said, I'm finding out more as I get older. Uh, the toll of, of serving, of, of always being, trying to counsel people and, and to help them. And it's like you take part of their problems on yourself and you, it weighs down on you. And, and you almost need to. You need to be involved because you can't just stay off to the side and give advice. That seldom works. Even if they would take your advice, uh, it would hardly work. But there is a toll, there's the weight of responsibility that comes, there's a mental tiredness. But what about their emotional state, the energy, emotional energy they have, the emotional stability? I remember a brother saying, a uh, bishop, that sometimes he, he his phone rings, he doesn't answer it because he doesn't feel emotionally stable enough to, to handle another demand. I, and I, I appreciate that, that honesty there. 
What about emotional intelligence? And that is the point of being able to recognize where we are emotionally. That we see, we actually see ourselves, we, we understand what's happening to us and consequently to the people around us. We understand emotion. But it says you need to know what that is. You need to, to figure out uh, you know, how your leaders are, are handling this. All right, so moving on now to perhaps the more practical part. Not the what, but the how. So how do you do this? How do you know your leaders? You can observe, you consider them, but how do you really get to know them? It's obvious that you're not gonna have time to work on a job with them for a year each. So what is going to happen here? Well, number one, get to know them, but how? The first thing I, I listed is this word, ask. You ask. How many times have we said, I don't know what that person's doing? Well, why do you not know? Were they supposed to come and report to you, thinking that you might somehow desire to know? If you really want to know, perhaps you could ask. What I'd really like to emphasize here is an empathy. And, and I, I found this quote here about a year ago. I think someone had posted it on WhatsApp. And it says, opinion, an opinion is really the lowest form of human knowledge. It requires no accountability and no understanding. This is how I think about it. This is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. This is how you feel. This is... I'm good with that, right? I, I don't have to enter into anybody's business. I know what I know. and But that's the lowest form of human knowledge. The highest form of human knowledge is empathy. For it, requ it requires us to suspend our egos and live in another's world. As I think about a brotherhood in the church, is not that what we're doing. We suspend our egos and we begin to live in each other's world. I start considering what you must feel like because of your upbringing, your job, your, the pressures, and I start considering that and I start thinking, you know, you're handling that well, but I see a little bit of a, a, a crack in your armor here because there's a lot of pressure. And so with that knowledge, I'm able to reach out. But as long as I am in my own little world, I'll never see it. And I can say, well, I didn't know. And so, yeah, we just, we're not responsible because we don't know. And sometimes there's the opinion that just don't find out because if you know something, then you're responsible. You're better off to just not know. That way it lessens your responsibility and, I guess, as a result, the stress that you experience. But is that, is that helpful? So is ignorance bliss? Or is there something better? All right, so if you want to find out, just simply ask. You say you don't know. I don't know how Jason's doing. I don't know if he's making enough money or not. I'm not sure if he can pay his bills. I, well, I do have a way to find out. I can ask. 
I don't know what Dwight's business is. I'm not sure even what he does. Actually, I, I really don't. And so I say, well, I can't relate to Dwight because I don't. I really don't know what he's doing. But I could ask. I can find out. It is actually there in front of me. But to ask is to make ourselves vulnerable because this is the way of relationship. We make ourselves vulnerable. And as I think about this, another point I'd like to note is that responsibility, or maybe back up, relationship is actually a two-way street. And I'll, I will just say this, that so when people ask me how I'm doing, uh, I seldom actually give them the whole truth. Not because I'm trying to hide it, but there is one thing about it is that just the fact that you asked makes me feel a lot better. And yes, I am doing actually fairly good. Um, there is that. But so sometimes you may need to dig in just a little bit more and, and to, to ask good questions and caring questions. Not probing questions, but caring questions. Relationship is two ways. So we as ministry need to learn to tell the truth. And I don't mean that we lie. I just mean that we just are not really wanting to open up too much. I don't want you to think that I'm barely holding together. I'm better than that. I mean, I'm on top, right? And so I give you the impression that everything's good. We're, we've been doing great. Um, yeah, a lot of pressure, but no, no, I'm, I'm doing good. But is that the truth? Partly, but not altogether. So the challenge is not just for the congregation to know their ministry, but the ministry, of course, to know the congregation. In other words, a relationship, a two-way street. And of course, we know that the ministry is responsible. Uh, we get that. You're supposed to know what's going on. So if a minister says, I'm not sure what's going on over here. Well, our question is, well, why not? But when someone asks us, how's your minister doing? You say, well, I don't know. Same question, why not? It's up to you to learn. It's a two-way street, but it requires for you and me to be vulnerable. We have to show who we really are, and it's not always the greatest pictures. And along with that, then, accountability. No relationship is of any value without accountability. And I, I liked what, uh, I'd never heard this put quite this way before, but uh, at our ordination here back a month ago, Tim Miller had given uh, some guidelines for congregation relating to the ministry. And he said, he said, hold us accountable. And I, of course, I cringed a little bit because, you know, it sounds like it's probing or... Uh, you know, we're demanding you do the right thing or else, but it's not really that. Any relationship includes accountability. That means I have to tell you what's actually going on. And you have the right to ask, and I have no right to feel trampled on because you ask. I make myself vulnerable. This is what a relationship is. And we have a lot of uh, 
in, in the world today a lot of admiration for a true brotherhood, a Christian brotherhood, where they get together, they love each other. We love that. The picture is wonderful. But you know, that is the most expensive thing you can have. That costs a lot because you're going to have to lay down your own pride and you're going to have to start listening. You're going to have to suspend your ego and live in another's world. You're going to have to start listening to other people to learn to know them so that you can reach out and minister. And you're going to have to make yourself vulnerable too and say, you know, brother, this is the way I feel and I, yeah, I, I just feel discouraged sometimes and I know I shouldn't, but this is where I am. And I appreciate the, uh, the honesty that, uh, that Jason and Dwight in, in the interviews yesterday, I, I felt like they were trying to just simply tell it like it is. I, and I, I do appreciate that. Lord bless you two brethren for that. Because that's what relationship is. It's simply making ourselves vulnerable. And so how do you get to know your, uh, your ministry? And how does the ministry get to know the brotherhood? Simply ask uh, and, and take the time to listen. Don't just ask, but take time to listen. It's not so much that I need to correct the situation as it is I need to learn about it. If I try to correct it before I've actually learned anything, and, and there's there are proverbs that actually back up all these points, and I should have maybe taken the time to just quote them, but I think you'll find them. You'll stumble across them now and then. But he that answereth the matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame to him. So you want to correct a situation, but maybe you better listen first because you'll be correcting something that you don't know anything about. And it just simply is, is confusion. So what is the spiritual state of your ministry? One of the things that was noteworthy about the Anabaptist position was the attitude that I could be wrong. I could be wrong. In fact, it's not just a good trait, it is a necessary one. There's no other position that we can take. We're often told we need to know what we believe and stand for it. Well, I, I, I think that's true. But you know, there's something different that I think enters in, and that is being able to open up ourselves to a brotherhood, examine this together, and then come to a conclusion, and then embrace that. And that means we lay down our own opinion sometimes. And we say, well, uh, because I listen to you, I see where you're coming from. I admire that point. I don't totally agree, but I, I see what you're saying. And, and yes, that's something to be considered. That's part of the discussion. We need that. That's what brotherhood is about. I could be wrong. I have an opinion, but remember, opinion is the lowest form of human thought. Your opinion really doesn't matter. It does not impress God. What does impress God is when you do like Christ and you begin to lay down your life for the brotherhood and you say, I could be wrong. I want to listen. I want to learn. And you have that kind of an attitude. That's what builds uh, a relationship. And that's when you will know, begin to know each other as a group and to uh, be able then to, to build each other up. But just everyone having an opinion and coming together and tossing it into the ring and, uh, and identifying with that opinion 
won't typically get you very far. The best you can hope for is a truce, but not any real brotherhood. So what are some ways we can find out where you are, where, that you can find out where we are spiritually? Well, discussions. Um, just open discussions. And listening is, once again, just listen. It's, it's very practical. And the, the, the Proverbs is full of this thing of a wise man increases learning because he listens. He's learned to be quiet and to listen. Sometimes we talk too much. We need to listen. It's also admitting that we are imperfect. You know, talking to ministers now, we're imperfect. We're still learning. We're still growing. And you, as a congregation, need to know that. We're not claiming to be up here. And when we do, we're not really being completely honest. We're still learning and growing. But we desire most of all to have a brotherhood that, that we can learn in, a place where we can actually learn in. And we believe in each other. You have, we all have some hesitation about accepting certain people because of past experience, but, but we need to really believe in each other. All right, um, what about the, the financial? Well, you know, we're pretty close about our finances. May I see your 1040 form? How many of you would, are willing to email me your 1040 form? Hmm. Um, no, I don't see that happening. Well, is it any wonder then that you can't really get to know your ministry? They won't disclose anything and you won't disclose it. Finances are God's gift to you. And I'm not supposing that it's going to be a benefit just to splash everything you do, but you need to be open. And when you're talking to your ministry and for the ministry, be open and uh, once again, ask, find out where they are. They're not likely to come and tell you that, hey, we, we have a need. It's up to you as a congregation to, uh, to take care of that and to, to go and to ask. All right, what about physically? Um, do they have projects that, uh, you don't have, that they don't have time to do that you as a congregation could help? Well, no, you won't find that out unless you ask. You have to go and communicate. That's what knowing is. It's when friends begin to share who they are, what they're doing. That's what relationship is all about. That's what a brotherhood is, and simply uh, being able to find that out. Well, maybe one good question is um, if they're feeling kind of down, are you getting enough sleep? You know, this is a real thing. Maybe you, you never thought about asking them, but it, it is real. Are you getting enough sleep? And if not, is there a problem? Is there something that we can help? We, we simply need to, to reach out and to, to learn. All right, then uh, what about the emotional state? Once again, emotional energy is limited. It's, it, we only have so much. And uh, those, of, those who are in the ministry know what it's like to be involved in um, a project and you're going to talk to people that are unwilling. And you come away feeling like, an old dish rag that's just kind of floppy and smelly and the, because of your interaction there and the, the awful just so much going and and you come away just feeling limp it's like you're not sure if your presence there was helpful or not that's 
an emotional state. And uh, maybe you should ask. I actually had a brother that uh, asked me, I think twice, he said, how are you holding up emotionally? Now, the first time I was shocked because I had never been asked that before in my life. I didn't know I even had emotions uh, for a long time. And he asked me, how are you holding up emotionally? Well, a good question. Remember, uh, service takes emotional toll. This is why Jesus said, when they were, they were so busy, and Jesus said, you come aside and rest a while. Because he knew that, humanly speaking, we do need that rest. We need to have a time of refreshing. Now, it's up to us as ministers, of course, to manage our resources so that we're not uh, unnecessarily just wearing ourselves down. But there is opportunity for you as a congregation to go and ask. And what I'm proposing is that we build that kind of relationship and a brotherhood that doesn't actually mind asking. Uh, yes, we do have emotions. And yes, we are sometimes discouraged and, and uh, uh, how would you say, not our best. But it's fine. We don't have to feel bad. Uh, how else are we going to be encouraged if we don't just simply be honest with who we are? All right, so winding it up here, what, what then is the purpose of getting to know those that labor among you? What is the purpose in this? Well, I've listed three things. One is simply for human compassion. As we're a brotherhood, and you know your minister, uh, He's a person. He's hopefully he's a friend, and you're concerned. So, humanly speaking.